Awesome. We are starting a brand new series this morning. Um, I'm really excited about it. We are going to be talking about the gifts of the Holy Spirit. And, um, and I, this was something that was on my heart uh, while we were going through uh, COVID and all of that. I was speaking to some other pastors and they were talking about how um, one, one of the big things that they really enjoyed um, recently was... Uh, this particular church, is that they spoke about the Holy Spirit, about the giftings, and, and what they saw was that there were people that were excited, confident, activated in the things of the Holy Spirit. And that got me really excited because, you know what, the, uh, I really hope that we don't come to our lift gatherings on Sunday just to uh, tickle our ears and have a little sit down and have a nice time together, and then the rest of the week we go back to whatever normal is. The whole point of us gathering is that we are encouraged, that we are stirred up uh, for the things of God, right? And that we can get excited for what God wants to do in us, but also through us. And one of the big things about all of that is that we need the Holy Spirit. You see, when, before Jesus ascended to heaven, He told His disciples in Acts chapter 1, verses 4 to 5, He said this, Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my Father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you'll be baptized in, uh, with the Holy Spirit. And, and, and Jesus taught His disciples, You who are going to be the church, usher in this new age of what I'm going to do on this earth, you need the Holy Spirit. And if the early church needed the Holy Spirit, I reckon that all the more we need the Holy Spirit today, right? And so we are going to be talking about the Holy Spirit and His and the gifts that He gives over the next few weeks. But today in particular, we are going to be talking about some myths and misunderstandings about the Holy Spirit. Because what I find is that when we talk about most other topics in, in Scripture, people are okay with, with being challenged. You know, uh, I will probably put the Holy Spirit and money issues, probably the ones as people having the most issues with. And they will be like, but Pastor Nate, what about this? Pastor Nate, what about that? Etc. etc. And, and, and these are the two areas. And, and it's really important that we do deal with these things. And so we are going to be dealing with five myths and misunderstandings. And uh, how I'm going to do this, I'm going to talk about the myth, and then I'm going to draw on, uh, in particular for today, 1 Corinthians chapters 12 to 14. There are three chapters that Paul talks about very specifically about the gifts of the Holy Spirit. And we don't have time, obviously, to read three chapters of uh, amazing Scripture. So please go study this in your own time. And, and one of the things that we do have as well to take this beyond the Sundays that on our app, we have a Sunday discussions portion. We've just started that. It's brand new. And so I can see that everyone's really scared to post stuff in there, except for me. So please, can we have a brave soul that goes, you know what? I want to go deeper with my church family and I'm going to post my thoughts and my um, uh, perspective on things or my questions. And, and I check it every day and I go onto the app and I check it and I get disappointed because I'm the only darn person on the app and it's boring. I want it to be alive. I want it to be a resource to us as a church. And, and so that's something that we can go deeper with as well. With the myths, obviously, we've got a very limited time, so I can't cover them in as much detail as uh, perhaps if you go to like Bible college or seminary. 
But I, I, it's really important. And um, as you can see, uh, it, 1 Corinthians chapter 12, Paul starts this chapter saying, Now about the gifts of the Spirit, brothers and sisters, I do not want you to be uninformed. Isn't it important that we, all the more today, we are not uninformed about the Holy Spirit, uninformed about how He works and what He does in our lives. And so I'm really excited about this and I'm going to get started right in it. Are you guys ready? Yeah. Myth one. On. Myth one is this, the Holy Spirit is a force. And I put Darth Vader there because I thought He represents the force. And um, many people think that the Holy Spirit is a force that God gives to us. And I think this is particularly because when you read the Bible and you read about the Holy Spirit, uh, it's quite often spoken about uh, he, uh, in the same line as power. So for example, very famous verse uh, in Pentecostal circles, Acts chapter 1 verse 8, Jesus says this, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea, Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And so we capture this idea that Holy Spirit power. And sometimes we equate Holy Spirit with power. The Holy Spirit is power. However, one of the issues with considering the Holy Spirit as power is that the Holy Spirit as a force would not have a will, would not have direction, would not have a conscience. It is just a force. And the problem with a force is that we then get to decide how to use that force. If you've heard this um, saying before, guns don't kill people. People kill people. Why? Because the force, the power of a gun needs the direction, needs someone to wield it. And so who's the one that is wielding the gun? Me, a person. And so when we think that the Holy Spirit is simply a force, then we kind of misunderstand what the Holy Spirit is doing in our lives. Because we then think that I wanted to see this force move out from me, but it didn't happen, so I don't have the Holy Spirit, for example. Or we start to think that the Holy Spirit works for us. The Holy Spirit is mine to use and to have. But really, the Bible does not describe the Holy Spirit as a force. If anything... We need to be extremely careful about this thought because the Holy Spirit is God. The Holy Spirit is God. As Christians, as Orthodox Christians, uh, we believe very strongly that the Bible teaches us, it doesn't use this word, but we believe in a Trinitarian God. A Trinitarian God is God in three persons. I have said this before, but one day we will have a Sunday workshop to unpack the Trinity and, and how the Bible describes our God as three in one. Uh, the, the early church came up with this uh, understanding and this uh, teaching that our God is three persons in one. And the Holy Spirit is a third of these persons. The Holy Spirit is a person. He, he is described as a person. He's, he's not an it. It is a he. And uh, more than that, I think we need to be really, really careful because sometimes we talk about the Father as being up there and the Son being somewhere in the middle and the Holy Spirit being subservient to the other persons of the Holy Spirit. Completely wrong. 
completely bad theology. Because when we start to see that, sometimes we go, oh, I'm a co-heir with Christ. And so Holy Spirit also becomes part of mine to, com to command. No, 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 no. Father, Son, Spirit, all in one. One God. Holy Spirit living in me and through me. God living in me and through me. The work of the Holy Spirit is God's work in my life. It's not the Father's work. It's not the Son's work. It's the Holy Spirit. It's God working in. I get passionate about this because I think sometimes we rubbish the Holy Spirit a little bit. We think that He's a side note. But we need to understand, if we want to understand the giftings, if we want to understand the power, the anointing that is available in the Holy Spirit, we need to see Him as a person. And as I said, I'm going to show you scriptural reference for this. 1 Corinthians 12, 7 to 11 says this, Now to each one the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. Remember, Paul's talking about uh, the gifts of the Spirit, and in this particular verse, he talks about it as a manifestation. When the Spirit is working in me, it manifests itself in these gifts. Now, the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. Remember that little line? We'll come back to that later. To one, uh, there is given through the Spirit a message of wisdom. To another, a message of knowledge by means of the same Spirit. To another, faith by the same Spirit. To another, gifts of healing by that one Spirit. To another, miraculous power. To another, prophecy to another distinguishing between spirits, to another speaking in different kinds of tongues, and still to another the interpretation of tongues. All of these are works of the one and the same Spirit. And He, who, not it, He distributes them to each one just as He determines. Just as He determines the Holy Spirit is at work. And this is really important as well, because when we see this particular uh, passage, what Paul is trying to say to the Corinthian church is that there is no gift that is, more, is given by a more powerful spirit than another one. It's the same spirit that gives all of these gifts together for the common good. And he knows us because he's a personal God, a personal God that we get to know with a personality, with a direction, with a will. And as we get to know Him, and He already knows us, and, and trusts us, distributes these gifts to us. What I'm trying to say here is this, that if you want to see the manifestation of the Holy Spirit in your life, if you want to see the giftings activated in your life, get to know the Spirit. Get to know what He's saying to you. Get to know Him personally. Get to know Him as a close friend, as one who you can talk to, that you can have communication with. We don't manipulate the Spirit. We don't tell the Spirit what to do. In fact, it's the Spirit that moves us and manifests His power in us for the common good. First, Myth that I hope that you are at the very least challenging. The Holy Spirit is not a force. The Holy Spirit is a person. Now, moving on to myth number two. The Holy Spirit's work has ended, has ceased because His work is done. 
And um, this is actually part of a really broad uh, umbrella. If you do want to research this, it's called cessationism. And there is actually a huge number of people in the body of Christ that believe this idea that the Holy Spirit's work has ended. Uh, and, and this is, uh, in particular to cessationism, they believe that the Holy Spirit finishes work with the early church. The early apostles, after they were anointed and gifted to establish the early church after the first century, um, the work of the Spirit is done, and so the Spirit stops. That is a part of the understanding of cessationism. And uh, it, it, honestly, it does not have any real backing in Scripture. Nowhere do you see any prophecy that the Holy Spirit will work for a short amount of time and then life goes on because the Holy Spirit's work has ended. We don't see that. The only verse that comes close to kind of talking about this is also found in 1 Corinthians 13 verses 8 to 10 and it says this, Love never fails, but where there are prophecies, they will cease. Where there are tongues, they will be still. Where there is knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part and we prophesy in part, but when completeness comes, what is in part disappears. And so cessationists will look at this verse and say, look, in particular because the gifts of the Spirit, the manifestation of the gifts of the Spirit actually declined in its frequency for quite a while in the body of Christ. In, the his, in church history, in particular because I... In my opinion, bad management by some church leaders in, 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 in the early days that, that the a supernatural work of the Spirit was actually squashed. And it's only in more recent times that there has been a revival of understanding that the Holy Spirit does work. And so sometimes we look at that experience and say, I haven't seen this, so maybe it means that the Holy Spirit has decided that He has done that he has finished his work. But I want you to look at this. It says, when completeness comes. And what this completeness is, is actually the end of time. When I have been brought into full glory, where you have been brought into full glory, that's another deep theological uh, understanding called glorification, which we'll talk about in next month's series, which is called The Good Place Deconstructed. We're going to talk about the afterlife. It's going to be lots of fun for me as well, because I've got to research and get ready for it. But, um, but look, look at what Paul is saying here. And in the context, if, if you've been to many Christian weddings, you would have heard 1 Corinthians 13 multiple times. Love, love is so powerful. Love is patient. Love is kind. Love is long-suffering. Love is, love is good. Love is perfect. Love is so good. And then at the end of time, there will be faith, hope, and love. The three of these remain. Everything else will fade away, but faith, hope, and love remains. And in the afterlife with God, we can see why that is, because God is love, so we will still have love. And because God is love, we will always have hope for this amazing, bright future. And we will have faith because we actually believe in God. Faith, hope, love remain. But why would I need prophecy if I see Jesus face to face? Why would I need to go... Oh, Jesus, speak to me so that I can prophesy to these poor plebs that do not get your presence. No, no, no. The promise is that all of us get to be in relationship with God. I won't need to prophesy to you because you will be hearing from God yourself. Why will you need healing in heaven? Because you're already healed. It's like, oh, I, I missed the gift of healing. Can I just pray for you anyway? I'll break your leg and then I'll pray for you. What is the, like, healing disappears because there is no need for healing. Healing has 
already taken place. Completeness at the end of time. Let me just put forward to you, how many of you here feel that you are complete? You are the definition of perfection on the face of this planet. If you say yes, you're deluded. And I don't know if there's much hope for you. Faith, hope, and love do not reside with you. But none of us are complete, right? I don't feel complete. I don't think I'm complete. I come face to face with my weaknesses and my shortcomings every single day of my life. And I look at this church, as amazing as this church is, as much as I love all of you guys, you're far from perfection. I'm sorry. Really, like, you're great, but you're not that great. There isn't a completeness. Just this week, we had our ACCWA conference, and I met so many pastors that I love seeing what God is doing. But we as a movement, we are so far from perfect. And if completeness hasn't come yet, why has the Spirit stopped? Why did God decide one day, you know what? I'm done with you guys, and I'm going to leave you to your own devices. You know what? I'm going to leave Jesus. You get to sit next to the Father in heaven. I'm going to sit on the other side of the Father in heaven, and the three of us will now become one again in heaven and leave these thinking human beings to themselves. You know the last time that happened? Noah and the flood. There was only one family saved. No, that's not what God is doing. And I heard this theologian put this forward, which is a very sharp question. And he says this, the point of the giftings is to build the body of Christ. So whose interests are best served by putting forward this idea that the Holy Spirit's work has ended? Is it in your best interest to believe that the Holy Spirit has stopped working? Is it in the church's best interests to believe that the Holy Spirit has stopped working? Is it in the kingdom's best interest to believe that all we've got now is human effort, full stop? So who gets served by this idea? We have a very real enemy, one who desires to stop our work. And I, for one, believe that if the Holy Spirit stops working in me, shut me up. I've got nothing else to say if the Holy Spirit is not at work in my life, what am I teaching? What is the point of me teaching without the power of the Holy Spirit? The reason why the gifts cease is only because the completeness has come. Completeness hasn't come. The Holy Spirit is still at work distributing gifts. All right. Myth number three, I know we're moving pretty quickly through these, but you, we can look at them a little bit deeper through the app. And myth number three is that the Holy Spirit takes over completely. So sometimes, partly I think because uh, earlier, in earlier days, we called the Holy Spirit the Holy Ghost. And so there was this understanding that ghosts possess people. And um, so we started to think that when the Holy Spirit works in my life, uh, I float in midair. I speak in a different voice, and I scare the crap out of every kid I see. So why would I want that work in my life? Does the Holy Spirit completely take me over? If I am to 
have this relationship with this person, with the Holy Spirit, and if His gift is at work in my life, what does that look like? Does it mean that I lose my will? Does it mean that I don't have any control? Does it mean that for a few moments I become something else completely? Well, the best way to explain what the Holy Spirit's work looks like is through understanding it as a partnership. A partnership. Let me read to you 1 Corinthians 14, 26 to 28. And Paul says this, what, shall we, uh, what then shall we say, brothers and sisters, when you come together, each of you has a hymn or a word of instruction, a revelation, a tongue, or an interpretation, all manifestations of the Spirit. Everything must be done so that the church may be built up. Really important phrase. We'll come back to that again. If anyone speaks in a tongue, two or at most three should speak one at a time and someone must interpret. If there's no interpreter, the speaker should keep quiet in the church and speak to himself and to God. Why am I bringing this up? And why is those slides cutting off my last few lines? Anyway, you've got the Bible references. You can read that yourself. That's my fault for creating slides that are too big for our screens. But why am I bringing this up? When Paul wrote the book of, uh, the letter to the Corinthian church, he was, particular, he was particularly trying to address issues in the church. You see, the Corinthian church was actually super excited about the gifts of the Spirit. They as I mentioned before, talking about the whole one spirit distributing all these gifts, there was possibly this argy-bargy debate going on. It's like, I got the gift of prophecy. God loves me more. I got the gift of tongues. See, I have got greater power. You know, I've got the gift of healing. I'm more special. And it's kind of like, you know, those old school trading card games where it's like, look, I got greater power, maybe a little bit less special. But, you know, we, we use these cards and we go look at all these gifts. And so this early church, right? They were all kind of trying to show off to each other. They were all trying to one-up each other. And what happened in the gatherings is that it was absolute chaos. Because what they were doing is they were saying, well, God gave me a hymn to sing. So in the middle of church, I'm like, then sings my soul. And, and then suddenly someone else will be like, oh, oh, thus says the Lord, thus saith the Lord. And then someone else like, healing, healing. We need healing now. Someone needs healing. That was what was, I, I mean, probably not that. I don't know. I wasn't there, but there was chaos because everyone thought that their gifting meant that they were allowed a moment in their son. It was like a reality TV show. It was ridiculous. I don't know how Chappelle Corby got onto a reality TV show. Criminal on TV saying, look at this star, follow her. Oh my God. Sorry, I don't know where that came from. <laughs> that was a manifestation of the wrong spirit. But the early church in Corinth, in Corinth had this problem where they did not have order in their gatherings. And so Paul writes to them and says, this is how you do it. You sing a song all together. You allow someone to encourage everyone. You get words of prophecy, fantastic. You get one, two, maybe three at most, and then leave the rest. What does this tell you? I am in control of whether the Spirit uses my tongue, uses my lips, uses my voice in the middle of a church gathering. The Holy Spirit doesn't come and doesn't go like, whoop! Suddenly he's like, oh, Holy Spirit's on Georgia. She all eyes on Georgia right now. No, 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 no. 
But the Holy Spirit is working in Georgia. Holy Spirit is manifesting in Georgia, but she's in control right now. And maybe she will go to someone later and give a word of encouragement or prophecy or whatever it is. There is order in our gatherings because we are in control of how the Holy Spirit manifests in our lives. So when the Holy Spirit comes on you, fantastic, so cool, amazing, is a partnership. So some people would then ask, so is the Holy Spirit more important or am I more important? And maybe not many people are asking this, but I always ask stuff like that. Because I, I want to know what is my responsibility and my part. I want to know whether it's 50-50 or is it Holy Spirit's 80 and I'm 20. How does this look like? Stupid question. Why? I was thinking about this. I was telling myself stupid question. Okay? I'm not telling anyone else that you're stupid. I'm just unpacking things for myself. If you look at Beck and myself, right, and you look at our partnership, how many people in their right mind would start to argue Nate's more important than Beck? And Nate's more important because out of uh, the wages that we earn, Nate earns more money on paper. And so maybe Nate's more important because Nate brings the money home. If Nate doesn't bring the money home, there would not be uh, shelter, there would not be clothes, there would not be food on the table. We would die if we do not have that money. But then someone else might argue, no, 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 Beck's more important because Beck is the one that actually cooks the food. And if Beck doesn't cook the food, then uh, Nate's only going to last for probably a month um, on, on instant noodles and probably die from some kind of weird indigestion that, that Asian noodles gives people. You know, I'm not, I'm not a college student anymore. I do not have iron stomach anymore. And so... Nate obviously needs Beck, so obviously Beck is more important. Or in a context of our family, without Beck, Sam would not be able to get through tomorrow. He does not have someone looking after him. Nate's at work, so without uh, 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 Beck, Sam would not exist, really. And there would be an issue there, so Beck's more important. But then you could say, no, no, but can you see how silly that argument is? Is it 50-50? I don't know. Sometimes, maybe. Is it 80-20? Sometimes, maybe. Is this simply a partnership where you are getting to know the person of the Holy Spirit and in the moment working with Him? What are you asking me to do? What are you enabling me to do? Thank you for the grace. Thank you for the power. Thank you for all of those uh, enablements, the manifestation of the gifting. Is it more important that I'm here or is it more important that Holy Spirit is here? Both. Why do we always make comparisons and, 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 and try to work out all of these things when really this Bible is teaching us, no, it is a partnership that we both are a part of. And so this leads us to the fourth myth that I want to talk about today is that the Holy Spirit is hard to follow. Saying this partnership, it therefore means that I need to be listening to the Holy Spirit all the time. It means that I need to be in sync with the Holy Spirit. And this can actually be a little bit difficult at times. I remember about six years ago, I led a mission trip to Indonesia. Uh, my previous church, uh, we were serving a, a community um, that was a refugee village, basically, in West Timor. And we would go over, and every year we would bring a couple of doctors or nurses, in fact, you wasn't, not, not on that trip. 
yeah, and so you can talk to Joe. I'm not making this story up. But all those previous trips that Joe was a part of and Ernie was a part of as well, I believe, um, what, they would, what, what our church did is that we would have the doctors meet the person, um, help the person as best as they can, and then they would go to this prayer area and pray for the person. And, uh, and I just loved when the teams came back because there'll be story after story after story of miracles and healings and the Spirit moving powerfully in that community. And so I was like, Pastor Joel, I want to go on a trip because I want to see these things. I want to be activated in uh, all, all the giftings that I, I, I want to see this at work. And so Pastor Joel was like, okay, yeah, yeah, I can't go this year. You can go. I was like, sweet, my turn to be Superman. Um, I didn't say that. But, but I went with the team and, and, and it was it was cool. We got to see the place. It had actually been built up quite a bit from the first year that we were there. They actually had proper toilets. They had a proper uh, water system. And, and it was really cool to see that. And we did the same thing. We set up a tent uh, for, for a medical service and then prayer. And we were in that village for three days. So first day came and we had a whole bunch of people come through, pray for a whole bunch of people, zero recorded miracles. Second day came whole bunch of people came through, pray for a whole bunch of people, zero miracles. By that time I was gone, the spirit is hard to follow. By that time I was gone, why is nothing happening? Is it me? Maybe I'm not doing my part. Maybe I didn't pray enough. Maybe I didn't prep enough. Maybe I'm not gifted enough. All of these thoughts are running through my mind. Third day came, and it was nearly the whole day. No miracles. And I'm talking about our prayer team probably covered, I don't know, by that point, 120 people, maybe more. We prayed for 120 people with no recorded healings. I was saying, stuff this. I'm not the one. I'm not gifted. I don't have this. And then there's man came through and we had an interpreter because they didn't speak English and, and um, but the interpreter was, was busy uh, outside of the prayer area and so this guy came and I was kind of just like alright here we go honestly I was like why are we even doing this anymore clearly clearly I am the issue here let someone else do this the next trip someone more holy someone more sacred sanctified, anointed, will come and do the works that clearly I can't do. And, and that was literally my mindset. I was like, this sucks. <laughs> and, and I really was starting to question my worth as a pastor, as a, as a man of God. Because that time I was a pastor and they were all like, Pastor Nate, Pastor Nate. And I was like, oh, I don't even know if I deserve that title anymore. Pity party. This guy came in, did not know what his issue was, what... Uh, what, what physical ailment he, he had. I, I was just, all right, let's do this. Right, God, heal him. Yes, God. Yes, Jesus, you can heal. I said the same prayer. I said probably about 100 times already that, those three days. And um, suddenly he got really agitated. And I was like, oh, no. Not only did I not heal him, I probably gave him the demon of something he was like oh my god he was getting really agitated and he was kind of like flapping his arms around i was like 
here we go. I'm going to get kicked out of this village. Probably kicked out of Centerpoint Church. And that guy's not a pastor. He's a demon peddler. Or some, like, I was like, I don't know what's going on, God. I don't know what I'm doing here. But then um, the interpreter came in because um, she, she probably heard that there was some commotion going on. And, and so she came in and started to ask the guy what was going on. And, and he said, Basically, most of them being farmers, that he had this really bad shoulder that wouldn't be raised past this point. And he was flapping around because his arm was actually going beyond that point. It wasn't full healing, but it was moving better. And he was actually shocked. I was actually shocked. We were all shocked. I was like, three days, something is happening. And so, so we, through an interpreter, we asked him, and he was saying that, yeah, he's got some movement, but not full movement. And so we prayed for him again. And, and by that time, he was like flapping his arm up and down. And, and, and he was healed before our very eyes. Now, this guy was more shocked than any of us at the, that this was happening. He kind of just thought that this was part of the process, that he gets the, the painkillers, and then uh, there's these this people just kind of say some mumbo jumbo that he doesn't understand, by the way. Doesn't understand English. He did not understand that I was saying, Thou says the Lord that you can be healed. No, I wasn't saying that. But, but he did not understand the prayer. He did not understand anything that was going on but the healing took place it was the only healing from three days of hard slog of praying for over 120 people and that was surprising to me it was surprising to me because I had resigned myself to the fact that I'm not gifted I do not have this manifestation of the Holy Spirit I questioned my worth. I was not full of faith. By the time that guy came in, I was like, let's just get this over with. It was late in the day. I was done. I was like, let's shut this thing down. These guys don't understand me. God probably doesn't understand me. And nothing is happening. Did my posture affect what the Holy Spirit did? I think it was because of that posture that God gave me that experience to see that Following me is not that hard. Following me is not meant to be this, you go through this college degree and then you learn, you memorize X amount of scripture and then you pray these amount of hours and then you get a miracle. No, no, no. The move of the Holy Spirit is dependent on something else completely. And let's look at 1 Corinthians 14 verse 12. It says this, So it is with you, since you are eager for gifts of the Spirit, try to excel in those that build up the church. And I spoke about this in a few other uh, verses that I have brought up, that the gifts of the Spirit is always about building up the church. It's about the common good. It's about serving people. You see, following the Holy Spirit is not about some weird spiritual thing that you need to do. You need to meditate and cross your legs in a certain way and, and sing a, certain, a few songs and then say abracadabra every time you pray. No, 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 the following of the Holy Spirit is simply this. Are you actually trying to serve people and to serve the kingdom? Following the Holy Spirit is all about, are you willing to serve? And so I've got a few questions for you to consider this morning to know whether you are able to walk in the Spirit or not. Do you have a true heart to serve people? Do you? Do you have a heart for God's church? Do you really love the gathering of the church and the people within the church and you really want to see people thrive and to grow? 
Are you willing to put other people's interests in front of yours in order to see them thrive? These are the simple things that the Bible teaches us. Are you willing to be in the background if it means that someone else is going to be built up? If your answer is yes, you are ripe for God to use. God was showing me in that mission trip, it was actually the last mission trip to that place. Why? It wasn't because I failed, but it was because that place was already thriving. That place had already been built up enough, and we heard that, that one of the key issues plaguing that place is that they were waiting for missionaries to come to give them free handouts. They weren't going to the doctors, even though they had doctors and could afford it. They weren't going because they were waiting for the free medication that our church was bringing. They didn't need us to be digging wells. They had a water supply through that village. They didn't need us to be running kids programs. They had a school up and running in that place. We were going and we weren't truly serving them anymore because they had progressed beyond the point where our help was helpful. Our help was now not really helping. And so when I was there for three days praying for these people, it wasn't so much that God wasn't at work, but God was taking them into a new place. And as long as my heart was simply to serve, that was all that was required. And God's manifestation was for the common good. Would it have been good for all of them to be healed? In our mindset, maybe yes. But in God's great grand scheme of what was going on, perhaps no. Because they would still be dependent on these Western Christians to come in for their medical care. When God was possibly leading them to go, no, 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 that's not who you are anymore. You're not a refugee anymore. You're not someone who is a victim anymore. You're actually established now and it's time for you to take responsibility and to grow. It wasn't about me. I made it about me. I made it about whether I was following the Holy Spirit well or not, whether I was holy enough. No, 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 no. If our heart is simply to serve, then it is to serve. Remember when Jesus went to Nazareth and not many miracles took place? Did Jesus then go, oh man, I didn't have enough faith to overcome those people's doubt. Oh, the Son of God can't do this. What hope does mankind? No, Jesus just simply went and was like, well, I did what I needed to do. I served the people here. I moved on. Remember, I did say that he did some miracles because that was still for the common good. But the larger common good was that not much was happening there. Did Jesus then look at himself and go, oh, I don't know how to follow you, Holy Spirit? No. But are you serving as best as you can? So with that in mind, final myth, the gifts of the Spirit is an optional extra for me. See, if we only just need to serve people, why do I need the Holy Spirit? I can serve you without the Holy Spirit. Serve you a cup of tea, serve you some biscuits through the amazing beck. I'm not actually doing any of this. I can serve you, right? Why do I need the gifts? And this is where Paul says in 1 Corinthians 12, 31, now eagerly desire the greater gifts. Eagerly desire the greater gifts. Now remember the context I was talking about in the church in Corinth. These people were very much eagerly desiring the gifts. These people were like nuts about the gifts. These people were so chaotic about the gifts because they were so desperate to see the manifestation of the Holy Spirit in their lives. And Paul doesn't tell them, you guys have gone too far with how much you want the gifts. 
I might. <laughs> I might be like, you guys are over the top, man. Like, all this prophecy stuff, dial it back, guys. You're starting to talk over each other is not helping anyone. Stop desiring all of that stuff and maybe desire something else. No, 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 but Paul actually tells them, eagerly desire. Now, the word eagerly desire is already quite strong in the English language, but when you look at the, uh, the, the Greek that, that Paul used, it actually means to burn with zeal for the greater gifts to be consumed with desiring these gifts. Can you hear how strong that language is? When Paul was writing to this church, he's saying you guys need order, but you also need to increase your zeal for the gifts, even though these people already were. If Paul the apostle that set up all these churches in these pagan nations was telling the church, you need the gifts, I think that we, a church in the town of Vic Park, needs to understand that we need the gifts. If the church in the early days needed to face the persecution and, uh, and, and all that was going on, and all the idolatry that was taking place in that day and that age, and Paul was saying how to combat that is that we need the gifts of the Spirit. I say that we in modern day Australia, where Christianity is on the decline, where Christianity is now seen as a rubbish, irrelevant, old school, inherited religion, we need the gifts of the Spirit to stir something up inside of us so that that people will go, this God is real. I can serve you with my normal human hands and that would be good. That is something that the Bible still puts value on. But when I serve with the Holy Spirit manifesting in me, something greater happens. We don't just need to be a natural church. We need to be a supernatural church where people are burning with zeal for the Holy Spirit. When we start to see as God as an add-on in my life, then why are you here? Why are you here if God's as an add-on? And unfortunately, there are many people that are not here that will call themselves Christians but have no desire for the Holy Spirit to truly work in your life. We just spent the whole of last month talking about change because when the Holy Spirit comes into your life and starts to act in your life and work in your life, He demands change. And change is not nice. We all know that. Change probably will bring about pain in our lives, but it's necessary the truth is that God distributes these gifts to you because He sees that you are uniquely placed in your spheres of influence to change the world and to bring kingdom come. Remember, Jesus said that you're the salt and the light of the world. When I look at myself, I'm not very salty and I'm not very lighty. But that's the work of the Holy Spirit in me that enables me to do those things. I heard this story a few days ago about a pastor who grew up in terrible, terrible, abusive conditions. And when he was at the end of his rope and he did not really know what to do, his um, mum and him were visited by a neighbour who brought some baked goods with a little note that said, Jesus loves you. Her gift was hospitality, a simple thing, but it was infused with the work of the Holy Spirit. And that pastor said that one act of hospitality changed the trajectory of his life. That woman's one act of obedience to what the Holy Spirit wanted to do brought a radical change 
in his life. I wonder how many of us are one act away from truly bringing something significant into our worlds. I wonder how many of us are one act of obedience, one act of partnership away from seeing the Holy Spirit manifest in someone else's life. And some of us will never know the impact of what we do. This pastor did did not go to that woman to say that this changed his life because there was still a process that he was going through. So she would never know how much that one act of kindness, that one act of grace, that one act of hospitality actually changed his life. You might never know. You might never know. But so what? If I have a heart to serve, the best way for me to serve is with the Holy Spirit. Is with the Holy Spirit's guidance and with the Holy Spirit's work and empowerment in our lives. So can you get the band up? One of the key things that the Holy Spirit does in our lives, one of the great gifts that the Holy Spirit does in our lives is that the Holy Spirit convicts us of our need for Jesus. He works in us to enable us to see how much we need Jesus. And so this morning, if you've been listening to this message and there's been something in you that's been stirring and gone, I actually think I need more of God in my life or I need to turn to God. I haven't really been doing that and I've been doing my own thing. That's the Holy Spirit's work in you. It's not because I'm this amazing speaker or whatever. It's the Holy Spirit's work in you bringing that conviction that you need Jesus. And so if that's happening, you know what? You are a few simple steps away from inviting Jesus into your life, which is the best gift that you could ever receive. And so what I'm going to do is I'm going to lead us all into a prayer of inviting Jesus into our lives. I'd like everyone to repeat this after me, but if that's particularly you, when you felt the Holy Spirit on your life, say that in a way that you believe it. Bible talks about in Romans 10 verse 9, if you declare with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. So let's say this prayer together. Dear Jesus, I invite you into my life. Be my Lord and my Savior. Bring wholeness to me. Bring healing into my life. I want to live for you. Amen. We hope you've enjoyed this week's message. Follow us on Instagram at The Lift Church or on Facebook at Lift Church Perth. That will give you all the up-to-date information about what's happening in the life of our church. Thanks again for listening. God bless.